We're there. We're there. We're trying something new. There we are. Absolutely trying something new. So, um, new circumstances, interesting circumstances. Where this is kind of like a day. What is this day six seven? Six seven, yeah. Or, yeah. or seven eight. Seven eight. Uh, oh yeah, because it's seven, Wednesday, eight. so it would be seven eight. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, I'll let you lead. You might as well start us up. Okay. Well, we're kind of navigating a couple of different uh, challenges, but also unique opportunities, I guess, in the sense. So uh, I think for everybody, COVID has kind of um, really made us address some uh, some issues with our what we rely on, right? So these systems that we rely on to be ever there. So to like to kind of give a little bit of context. Um, my daughter was, uh, had a runny nose over the weekend. So we immediately get tested and you want to make sure that you're, everybody's healthy and, and well, and we are, thankfully everybody was negative, but now I've started to show symptoms of that, like head cold. Um, and you can probably hear it in my voice. It's starting to develop. Um, so I, I went in this morning and probably that was my first error, but I came in because I felt like I don't really know what to do. It's not, it's not a regular year. So my my initial, I guess, and and looking at it now from like a lens of of health and wellness and and how we're approaching this year, um, a small a small cold uh, potentially could domino for a lot of other people. So so recognizing in myself that like as much as I want to be in the building collaborating in that sense, I need to put wellness for myself and for others ahead of that need. Um, and then, you know, rejig to, to still fulfill the needs that, that are there, but like, I can't be in the building. Right. Yeah. Um, so kind of I a challenge term, in that I think, sense. I think the term is we say with an abundance of caution, I yes. think that's the, kind of like the, um, the non-technical, but the sort of the, the uh, the effective side of this, we're gonna mm -hmm. that's what we're taking an abundance of caution. Mm -hmm. So so thankfully, I guess this is what we talked about the other day when we were test driving um, teaching virtually. I think it was just yesterday. I mean, the days are it's crazy how it all blend, mm -hmm. blends, mm -hmm. but also feels like we've done a million days, but in such a short time. Um, test driving this at home possibility because I can I can be safe. You can be safe. We're both in our places. And this um, co-construction that we've got going on, like this mentorship, uh, challenging each other in, you know, discussion formats, all these different things that we do face to face can still happen um, and can be kind of just addressed in a, in a different a different way. So I think as much as like and looking back now, we I used to go to, to work with a runny nose and cold symptoms. Right. We never I never really thought about it as like a no, I, I really should, I should stay home and I should be, be go back because sometimes you just don't have that luxury. But this virtual opportunity means that we can still put our wellness and our health at the forefront and still what we need done in the frame that we have. It's I don't true. know. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, but also I think looking at, at my, 
my, I think we talked about ego, but like this idea that there's, there's challenges in all areas of this process. And sometimes it's a personal challenge. And I feel like today, this is kind of a personal challenge. Um, identifying, okay, this is where I need to step back and just know, I, I can still fulfill what I need to, but for your safety, my safety, people in the building, like it just needs to happen in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, will, I will tell you, it's a, it's definitely a, um, it's an educator's conundrum in general, kind of mm -hmm. even, even COVID notwithstanding, trying to sort of figure out how to navigate a day where if you're, if you're, if you're single or solo and it's just you like, and you're just sick, that's one mm -hmm. level of complexity. If you do have a family and you're trying to figure out how to support them, that's another level of the complexity and sort of laid over the whole thing is just the, the drive to be the best educator that you can. And I think mm -hmm. within that, there's a little bit of a blind spot there. Um, and when you mentioned the ego, it's the blind spot that um, you have to be the one to sort of fix the day and you have to be the one to teach the kids and you have to be the one to be in the school and be fresh and ready to go and, and possibly medicated just to sort of um, be the one. And mm -hmm. It does. It, it definitely has. It happens. You get in the mindset that your sort of compliance with your work um, can overshadow sometimes common sense. Mm -hmm. um, it can even override common sense sometimes. I think this is a this is yet another great lesson and or sort of bit like thought experiment for you to work through. Because yes, we can continue our reflective practice and you're able to connect with the curricula and you're able to support the classes in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of laid across that whole thing is still this question around, um, you know, what does an alternative placement look like? Like we keep yeah. coming back to these, these new little interesting corners that, that are being presented to us. And I mean, today, something like today, it has less to do with it being an alternative placement as it, as it does to just the challenges of working in public education, right? Like that's, this is just right. one of those life challenges. Yeah. Just so, one of the layers to it. I, I think, and it was interesting because when we were talking this morning about like what to do, I feel like we, we didn't, it was, we had to decode all these different because there's, there's no distinct, this is what you should do in this yes. scenario. So we, you know, taking that professional judgment of like, okay, this is what, I think is best for me and also what what we can manage at this time right mm -hmm. like that that's a huge part of the of the it's in the job is just being able to um manage that uh those it's the, the you keep bringing me back to this like idea of disciplines and i think this is one of those um you know it's not going to fall apart if i am not in the building right <laughs> so true. i know it is true so um the where do you want to go with kind of like the remainder of the conversation because i did send to you you know a new bit of thought fuel to think about for today um we yeah. didn't get to do it face to face we also have i guess to a degree some unfinished conversation from the last day since we are sort right. of putting day seven seven and eight together right so, right i think um, if, if you're okay with it, I kind of wanted to um, talk a little bit more about this. Uh, it was it was our conversation, I think it was yesterday morning. Um, and this, this extension of like a teacher's or mom, I guess I can relate it to myself. 
myself this idea of, um, I don't know where we talked about it first, probably, I think you, maybe you just had mentioned it, uh, that the students, if, if we're looking at you know, the compliance piece, um, yeah. and they, you know, people, and I guess in the, in our dynamic of education, the students owe us anything just because we are labeled the teacher, right? There's, um, there's this idea that, you know, I, because I am at the, the head of the classroom, everybody else now just, I'm just expecting them to give me um, information or things that I'm asking for and that idea of compliance, but, but for, for what reason, right? Like why, why do I have this assumption that, uh, that because my title says so that students are just, just, they owe me this kind of experience or, um, yeah. So I think let's, if, if we can kind of go down that path. Yeah. Um, so the, the, just, the sort of the poke or the provocation I gave you is that language around, um, and sort of, um, that the teacher may find themselves saying to the student, you know, you, you owe me homework mm-hmm. uh, or you, you owe me a task or, you know, you owe me that assignment. And um, I think what we, where we were in the frame of compliance, we started just talking about um, some of the, some of the compliance structures and within education and, and whether or not they were oppressive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to back it one step before that, I think what led into this conversation was um, that little bit about, you know, when you are speaking about your pedagogy, be prepared to put different lenses over your pedagogy. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as straightforward, you know, let's say if you're in an interview process for someone to ask you about your philosophy of education, which is a very popular question to ask. Right. You now want to be able to speak to the nuances of that philosophy of education as lens through an equity sort of perspective or as lens through a literacy perspective or as lens through a class management perspective. There's lots of different lenses to put over. So our topic of oppressive systems kind of led us mm-hmm. into the statement about teachers saying, you owe me homework, kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and like where that stems from, the like this, the oppressive compliance, and we, I think I can begin to recognize some of those structures just even in my own um, experiences with like, you know, uh, their education and, and uh, the, even the compliance structures that are in our uh, teacher candidate, uh, associate teacher, like those structures too. Um, and then I think we talked a little bit about uh, being aware that you could be the oppressor. Yeah. Um, and that's huge. I think for teachers, that's often, well, even personally, it's really hard to live in that discomfort and recognize and call it out because there's, you know, you can see it and kind of ignore it, move past it, choose to choose to, you know, not develop anything more. Or you can recognize where you you can be the oppressor and where you can kind of reinforce those structures, uh, whether it's in your classroom or in, in connections with people, with with students. Um, and that's often scary to do um, or even just to admit. Um, so I think that was a really big piece uh, for me anyway, through our conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, I will say it's in some ways, it's some high level stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. know, again, I don't know the curriculum for faculty right now. I will say when when I when I went through and I went through like 16 years ago, there wasn't a strong 
focus on social justice. So you no. didn't have, we didn't have, um, you know, what I would consider my, my learning network of, of teachers. We were very much, we felt like we were in survival mode, right? Like we mm-hmm. were just trying to kind of make it through the year, get our paperwork in. Um, it's interesting though, if I think back, I'm probably underestimating my own potential because I think I would have had space to think about this stuff. Mm. Um, I don't think it would have been, it would have gotten in the way of me doing any of the tasks I had to do. I would say just 16 years ago, this was not a topic right. in my faculty experience. We were not, right. we were, we were, we were talking about wellness. We were talking about, um, we were talking about a lot of best case scenarios from a teacher's perspective. I don't think we were, we weren't dipping our toe in what's best case scenarios from a student perspective, from a, um, and I'm not saying that we weren't talking about uh, positive student outcomes, but it just felt like everything was kind of centered around getting you ready to be you, not not getting ready to be the connected you, mm-hmm. the passionate you, the protester you, the supporter, co-conspirator, ally you. There were none of yeah. those conversations in my faculty, and I and I wonder if now, like these are these are more so and more prevalent conversations that are just happening in general with teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my hope would be, and uh, my hopes could be dashed, but that some of these conversations are happening in faculty, but I guess on one hand, I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't because yeah. the, the prep is still the prep. Like I imagine yeah. the actual programming to become a teacher is still fairly close to what it was when I went through. Yeah. And I mean, if I can kind of, uh, not to deflate you in that sense, but I, unfortunately it's it's not a huge component um, of the, the program, at least that mm-hmm. I'm in at the moment. So I think I maybe had said, yes, this term, I mean, I'm in second year, so I'm nearing the end of it, but there, there are, our language arts class is touching on the social justice lens and, and critical critically planning lessons um, from, you know, that kind of a perspective and being aware of your practice. And it's interesting because as valuable as that is, a lot of the student body, a lot of the cohort, uh, so there's probably at least maybe a hundred of us, um, they're very, they were upset and vocal about the fact that they thought the language arts class should be preparing us to do uh, running records or teaching a literacy and like the, the very like basic structures of running a language program. And what the faculties was, was trying to do, I think, was to kind of elevate that and say, yes, those things are important, but that's going to, that's going to come, that that's not something they need to be providing us right now. What's more critical is being able to approach tasks with this like vital lens to all of your practice, right? Like, so, so it's unfortunate that it's only in small drips and drabs. And even if I can just like, I don't want to throw any of my peers <laughs> under the bus, but like that, even that they, that they're not seeing the value in that is, is unfortunate. So um, part of the, part of the excitement of this alternative placement and having a good chunk of time for you and I to, to challenge each other and bring to light some of these things. Cause I know you've mentioned it before that having me is now making, having me a part of your day is making you, you know, re bring some things back up to the surface that maybe you, um, you just needed to revisit. Mm. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's a, a really excellent opportunity for me that I'm having this time to, to do a lot of reflective 
practice and and engage in some of these uh, conversations because it is because it isn't happening elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it, and I will say, I guess where I, I'll lay that a little bit at your feet is that you can pursue this, right? I kind of jokingly said, I don't know, I guess I probably in the last episode for you to start up your own podcast. Yeah. That, was, that was an adjacent statement to just, I guess, kind of tapping into the make sure that you're paying attention to your reflective practice mm -hmm. um, and finding a way to include that type of thinking kind of like that big picture, really it goes big, wide a picture as you can kind of thinking. Right. And while you're sort of lensing it way out, making sure that you're, what you're, what you're doing is not, you're not going, you're, 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 you're scaling. I'm wanting to use the right word here. Mm -hmm. By lensing out, you're not just getting a bigger picture of the actual silo that you're in. You're lensing out so that you see the multiple silos that education exists within because mm -hmm. I would argue that this type of reflective practice, if you're not pushing to take, if you're not making um, education um, semi-permeable at least, then you're not allowing for societal influences and things that are really important happening outside of school to make it into the bubble. Mm -hmm. It's easy to kind of protect our, if we protect our thinking to the point that we don't let new thinking in, then that's problematic. And that was part of what led me to pursue podcasting as a, as a practice because I, it, it launched me outside of my school board and right. it got me connected with people that were thinking similar, uh, thinking about similar ideas, but approaching them from completely different perspectives. So yeah. I would encourage you. And if any of your colleagues listen to this, that to find a, a personal, a per, like a professional or a personal learning network that you feel like you can lean on with intention and intensity, you'll benefit. Mm -hmm. And they become your, they become your, your, your sort of other colleagues for the rest of your career. Cause you're going to keep going back to that table, especially if it's, if it's helping you to understand what's going on in your, in your school. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, um, uh, something that I will be working, working to steal. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to ever do my own podcast, but, but definitely, <laughs> uh, extending the community reach and, and involving some perspectives outside of just education, I think yeah. is important too. The practice of me mentioning to make sure that education in itself and conversations around education are semi-permeable. You as an educator also have to be semi-permeable and there's a safety mm -hmm. factor there, but what that means is you're letting other influences into your thinking. So it's not just like mm -hmm. the, the big things, like somehow you're acting on behalf of the system. I'm going to, I'm going to bring in these great ideas from the science center in Toronto because it'll make my school better. The deeper level would also be, I'm going to bring in computational thinking and scientific thinking into my own brain and see how that affects um, my thinking about pedagogy or language arts or developing a math program. So you, you mm -hmm. take it right down to core, not just, I mean, and you kind of go by safety, you go by safety, right? And right. sometimes you have to go by practicality, the amount of time you have. But I still, I would recommend that reflective practice is a, like you can cast out really far and catch some really interesting information. And those relationships, I've found that genuine relationships can be developed through digital, like digital means now, like you can make lifelong learner friends and lifelong friends just by using, using this, this, uh, these types of digital platforms. Mm -hmm. And I think um, what you had kind of mentioned when, uh, I guess when this all first hit that you, you immediately took that time to um, put those pillars into place 
Um, so because, I mean, it could have lasted a month, it could have lasted longer. And now we're already like into the, the year of COVID. Um, yep. And you have, you have some of those uh, communities set up now that you can lean on. Whereas I mm -hmm. think some of us are still, we're still playing catch up to the, um, to the depth of like what this process will continue to look like and, and how do we, how do we now be more engaged and be more well on in, in this like good world? Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's really important. Um, yeah. Almost like we can officially, we don't call it, um, you know, we don't actually have to use the word COVID anymore. We just call it 2020. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Just 2020. <laughs> So um, where do you want to go next? What do you want to address? So I think, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm thinking about an X factor, um, I, ha I have the pictures of our whiteboard discussion up mm -hmm. uh, just as a as like a guide. Uh, the X factor for me from our last conversation or our last big conversation um, is still this this difference between trust and confidence in a student. That's still not computing with me whether whether it's because of my um initial perspective on it between how i feel about trust and confidence and then how do i now put that into my teacher lens uh, about trust and confidence in a student so i think that's still a big x factor for me i don't know if there's any more that you kind of have thought about since we first talked about it um but this idea of outward you know, per personally problematic versus outward. I'm, it's hard because the audience can't see the picture. I know you said you're going to add some, so maybe that would yeah, be helpful, but. I'll just, I think for now, it's just the difference for me is that if we do semantics, the idea that the, the, the definition of trust to me feels kind of short-term. I think mm -hmm. of trust in a, in a business format. I think a trust is in, you know, how bank will trust that you pay, pay back the loan. They're going to mm -hmm. have collateral too, but it is based on trust. I think that when I think of confidence, it strikes me as like it kind of pushes out past trust and sets kind of like a, just a way of sort of seeing the world. So mm -hmm. if I, if I say that I have confidence in a student that is stable, regardless of the short-term trust issues that may arise. And somebody might say, well, yeah, that's, that's fine. That totally makes sense. Clef. I guess where I'm, where I get a little twisted up is when the idea of trust only, and they never, we never achieve confidence. Right. So that idea, cause I think everybody, everybody can kind of have that moment where they say that, you know, I've lost trust with a person, but do they then step further and say, but I still, I I've lost trust in this moment, but I still have confidence in the person. Mm. And, um, if I were to kind of break break out of the metaphor a little bit, um, parenting is a great example of how often the trust is broken, yet we maintain this type of confidence in the individual. The confidence right. is bigger, more powerful, broader. It's almost like you 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 feel like you you can depend on it, you can rely on it. Yet you know your son or daughter just lied to you. Well, they've mm -hmm. they've kind of broken whatever trust, right? But in the bigger picture, you have confidence that they're going to, with your support, they're going to develop into someone who doesn't lie anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of like, I guess, the more thinking that I gave about it. That's the example that I would use in education. And maybe many ed educators do have big, big picture confidence in students, their colleagues, um, the system, the community. 
um, mm-hmm. I think it's important just to keep keep that keep that dialogue going with yourself to see you know where are you existing? Are you existing in the short term, short term almost like rational transactional type of belief, which would be more trust, like moment to moment, or can you actually tap into that bigger, broader, um, a slightly more open and can feel a little bit disconcerting, but definitely more powerful confidence in people. Yeah. Confidence in your, in your, in your colleagues and the fellow humans in the building. I found it transformational when I, when I stepped into that space. Um, Do I still worry about people doing crappy things to me? Yeah. I do. I mean, I still think someone could betray. I don't think they, but see the thing is, I don't think they can betray my confidence, but I guess they could mm-hmm. betray my trust. Mm-hmm. But I still have confidence in them. I'm like, you're going to, you're going to come around some way. You're going to figure this out. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think maybe developing more of an understanding of that trust confidence relationship and, and where, why I feel like trust maybe is in in my brain seems more important than the confidence. Yeah. But listening to you talk about it, it's it's definitely developing. So I think that that's still an X factor. But um, yeah, something that I'm I'm going to keep contemplating for a while and addressing um, yep. for myself. Yeah, it's worth playing around with. Hmm. I I forgot what my question was to you. The question was around. You asked, "What am I? What am I stealing from my?" So my pri- my previous work that I, I had worked in hospitality uh, and restaurants yes. age, pretty much age, thir- age 13, all the way up to, God, um, up to 2005, 2005 right. is when I, 2004, 2005 is when I switched out of, um, hospitality. I have my mm-hmm. chef's papers. Um, I was part of the management team for a large restaurant chain in downtown Toronto. That's where my last kind of stop was. Okay. And um, I guess your question was around what am I still mining from my experience in hospitality? Yes. Yeah. And there's a couple of things, but I think um, three things that really have, I I think of the threads that are still with me. I have a deep, deep appreciation and respect for mentorship and apprenticeship. Um, Mm -hmm. When I did my apprenticeship in culinary, I worked for a family. I I was basically brought in like I was not. It was in Italian cuisine. I'm I'm not Italian, but I was brought in like a family member, kind of shown the culinary secrets, trained in the skills that ultimately led me to writing my chef's papers and becoming successful. And the sort of the dedication and the responsibility and the rapport that was a part of my apprenticeship in there, I think, has really it's followed me into my into the way that I look at how I, how I look at leaders and leadership, um, Mm -hmm. how I look at the responsibility and the accountability in teacher student relationship. And I also see that learning is carried on that relationship. So I see it as the carrier Mm -hmm. wave to sort of getting a deeper understanding of knowledge. Um, The second part around it was, when I was finally in charge of running restaurants, um, you can transform old learning by having new experiences. I didn't think that I was a very good math student until I started running restaurants. And I started to have to do the business math and the profit and loss sheets and staffing and um, ordering budgets, lots of different stuff I was accountable for. And I could do that math. 
So I think um, what that what what comes with me from that is that the the idea that school is going to the idea that school is is the only learning experience to to formalize. I'll keep talking. I wonder. Oh, I lost Miriam. But as school is the only thing to um, get me get me learning, I don't think that's true. Mm. I don't think that's true at all. I think that you can learn from different places, and if you're still tapped into some of the things that you thought were challenging in previous spaces of your life, like you can relearn and learn in new ways and be reminded that you can do things like that. And the mm -hmm. final thing was that um, my experience from hospitality is a little bit about the discipline and the details. So I was writing recipe books and staff guidebooks and handbooks while I was running the restaurant. So I think procedural writing and writing things in a way that that makes it easier because you can have very difficult tasks but if you hit the procedural writing correctly someone can follow those steps right. in order to replicate that task and recipes are all about that especially things called standard recipes which once you have the basic skill set they're meant to be replicated and right. i was always of the mind that i had to design these resources such that it could be replicated exactly if I wasn't standing there with the individual. So that mm -hmm. idea of writing mm -hmm. procedural writing and writing clearly, definitely are, those are three things that still I tap into uh, as a teacher now. Mm -hmm. um, I think a sub, a sub one, a, a carry away for the whole thing is that I, I kind of like anarchy too. And mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's, a, there's a, it can sometimes be described as controlled anarchy when you're sort of having a busy Thursday or Friday night. Um, right. It's hard to see the actual um, underlying operating system unless you're really, really savvy to what's going on. But to watch a, to watch a well-oiled kitchen even kind of work on a busy night, there's a lot of stuff that's codified and you wouldn't be able to decode it unless you had access to that information. I like how it can look just like mayhem, but it you're actually moving in the right direction. And I guess mm -hmm. if I were to bring that back to back to school, um, first little things about that, mayhem, it shouldn't be other people's mayhem. It's just the way I mm -hmm. learn. However, when I observe other people's mayhem and their learning process, I have to be respectful of not judging that somehow that's messy. You yeah, have to right. wait. You have to wait and see. You can't jump in and say, oh, I'm going to fix this for you because they could be well on their way to fixing it and you've just taken that opportunity away from them. Mm -hmm. So... That's, that's my thinking on that. Well, it's interesting because I knew there would be some, um, some really concrete, uh, you know, things that, that are similar, but then it's also interesting to, to hear about how it's kind of completely different too. For sure. Yeah. Let's see a question because let's, uh, I guess, I guess a question would be, I know that podcasting is, is, um, a big component of your reflective practice. Um, and you use it kind of in a lot of different ways, mm -hmm. um, you know, other than podcasting or maybe along with podcasting, what are, what are some other things that you do, um, for your reflective practice? So, I mean, Love it. yeah, yep. I, I'll stop there. I won't, <laughs> I won't ask anymore. 
I love these questions because I feel like you're sort of, you're digging into some of the source code. Like you're sort of I'm pushing trying. back and say, okay, fine, Clough, you've told me to do this kind of thing, but really, really, <laughs> where's it kind of being fed from? So I like, I like the accountability. I like the accountability. So good question. All right, good. Well, we will, uh, I, who knows what format we'll be in tomorrow, but we will definitely talk about it tomorrow. Absolutely. Thanks for the convo. I'll chat you soon. Right. Sounds good. Bye. I'm gonna test your feet, 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 I